Amen. It's good to see you today as we celebrate Good Friday. Now, you might think, why is it good to celebrate that Jesus died? I mean, you think about what he went through. He, had, he became a human. He spent 30 years basically just working like a regular guy in construction. Then he's baptized by John, and his ministry starts. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. The, the Father from heaven says, this is my son. And then for three years, all he does is spread love and does good works and tries to draw people to God. And in the end, in Holy Week, we see him taken and put in a phony trial, convicted, given the death penalty, and now here he is. We find him as he walks up the mountain of Mount Calvary to hang on a cross. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, can we just get on to Easter? Like, and there are people who, you know, a lot, for a lot of people, the meaning of Good Friday is, well, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. No, actually, Friday is huge. In a lot of ways, it's bigger than Easter. Jesus didn't say, I came to rise from the dead. He said, the reason I came, for this I was born, and for this came I into the world, was so that he could die. It was dying was the point of what he came to do. And this, this day in which we remember his death is super important for us. For a lot of reasons, you can, you can just go, well, why, why does it matter so much? Well, we understand theologically, the Bible teaches us that because Jesus died, our sins can be forgiven. Our sins, the things that stood between us and God, could be taken away by him because he died. Do I understand that? I understand the Bible teaches that. All the way back in Isaiah 53, we've all gone astray, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And yet theologians for thousands of years have tried to explain what that means, that he died for our sins, and how does that work, and who was demanding that and all. I know that it's true. I can't completely explain it to you exactly how it worked, but he certainly had to die so that we could be forgiven. That's, that's clear in Scripture. But there are other parts to death that are really important, too. In fact, Jesus, when he died... He made himself most human. Remember, the, the purpose of Jesus coming, as, as Hebrews 1 says, you know, God who in different past times and ways made, you know, under the, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us in his Son. So Jesus came to be a revelation of God. That was, when we see him, we see God. Now, we know on Christmas we celebrate Jesus became a human. Now, we learn later that he is still can save us and is sticking up for us because he's been through everything that we've been through. And what is more human than dying? The difference between this pulpit, which is made of wood, and the guy behind it, one of us is going to die. The other one will still be here. And so, you know, our humanity is wrapped up in this idea of that death comes. And, 
And understanding death, death is kind of a mystical concept in a lot of ways. It also involves a lot of pain. I mean, most of the greatest pain that you'll experience in life is having someone die. And you hope that you know, they have you doped up enough that when you die, it doesn't hurt that bad. But the truth is, death and pain are linked. And so this was when Jesus came on Good Friday to suffer excruciating pain because he needed to know what it is to be a person, to be human. And so the pain of his death was important. But death also is interesting when you think about it. In a lot of ways that death is integral to the whole meaning of life. In fact, someone has said the meaning of life at its core is that it ends. And when it comes to human life here on the earth, that's really true. The more you understand that this life is temporary, the more you can begin to understand what this life really means. The more you understand what a blessing it is to have someone in your life when you know that it isn't permanent, when you know that death is at the end of that. And so Jesus entered into our human experience because even as it is for us, it was for him. Wow, this is it. This is the end. Like I said, Jesus said, this is the whole reason why I was born and for all of us. It's only when we're truly aware of the temporal nature of this life that we can appreciate every moment of it. How many times when somebody that you, that you love dies and you're like, what I wouldn't give for one more conversation with them, what I wouldn't give to just have one more moment, or why did I have to have that last fight with them, or why is it that, that we ended not on good terms and now they're gone? See. If we understand death, we understand life is incredibly precious. It's something to be treasured. And so Jesus did that more than anything, though, I think. What Jesus' death tells us is how much God loves us. God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love is most demonstrated on the cross. See, the fact that he rose from the dead doesn't really do much for us. It certainly tells us that he didn't stay dead and his death worked and all of that. And so I'm not, I'm not telling you, hey, blow off Easter Sunday and I'll see you next year on Good Friday. I'm just saying <laughs> we can't overemphasize that his death is where his love is most strongly demonstrated. Far and away, not even close. It's like the fact that he would die for you, the fact that he would die for me, wow, that's amazing. And that's, that's his love that's demonstrated on Good Friday, on the day when he was taken to a cross and, and killed. Now, I'm going to look at a couple verses in Luke 23. If you have a Bible, you can turn over there if you'd like, but... You don't have to. Um, between the four Gospels, there are like seven things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. Um, Luke only has less than half of them, but I'm going to look at two of them today just to remind us of something about his death and what it meant. Now, in Luke 23, it mentions in verse 
32 that there were two criminals who were led with him to be put to death. When they had come to the place called Calvary, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And we know from the other Gospels that the criminals were both making fun of him and bad-mouthing him at this point, which maybe spurred this comment. But Jesus, in verse 34, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Wow. Father, forgive them. They don't really know what they do. What we see here is Jesus, in the midst of his own situation, in the midst of his own pain and his own agony, he's thinking of other people and people who are really, you know, denigrating him. Was he including the people who Trump up his, I can't use Trump in trial anymore, but the people who (laughs) cooked up these fake charges against him or, or the soldiers who went along with it or the criminals who were making fun of him. The whole thing is, he's like, Father, forgive them. Now, this tells us something really amazing about Jesus, that Jesus has a heart to build a bridge between God and people. In fact, that's his very nature, that's his essence, as a way to find the possibility of people being reconnected with God. Because there's this huge chasm between people and God. And God wasn't the one who caused it. He's asking for forgiveness on the basis of ignorance, which is kind of funny because I would look at this and go, ah, come on, they don't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. But do they really? See, Jesus has some insight into something that I think it's important for us to understand. Everyone who goes against a God who loves them doesn't understand who he is. They are ignorant of how much he loves them. And that's why they do what they do. Now, we have an aversion to the whole concept of ignorance. Uh, Oh, we know there are other people who are ignorant, but we never want to admit that we might be. Because, hey, we know. We're not ignorant. Other people are. But the truth is, every one of us stands in need of the forgiveness that Jesus is saying they can be forgiven on the basis of their ignorance. We would never do anything against God if we really understood what that means, the effects that it has, how much he has done for us, every sin that we commit. And a sin, if you don't know, is doing something that's less than God's absolute best for you. We would never do that if we really knew what we were doing. It's interesting, though, that you know, he, he doesn't say, I forgive them. Now, look at it and go, wait, they're doing this against Jesus. Why is he not just saying, I forgive you? He's saying, Father, forgive them. Because Jesus understood what David understood years before, after he had sinned, and then he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That sounds weird, because in David's case, it's like, Come on, you took a guy's wife, you killed the guy. But he's like, no, 
Ultimately, every sin, every failure is a result of being ignorant of God, of what he does for us, of how he loves us, of how he wants to work in our lives. And compared to whatever offense we do to other people, everything that we do that's wrong is against God himself. The good thing is, he is willing and able to forgive. And so I can look at my life, and there may be people who have hurt me, and I can just go, I have to forgive you? I don't know. I try. I mean, I, I've still, I still haven't forgiven the Astros for stealing a World Series. So it's like, but I can say, okay, Father, forgive Altuve. Father, <laughs> forgive these cheaters. See, it's easier for me to ask him to forgive than it is for me to pretend like I've forgiven. And yet, the truth is, if I truly want someone to be forgiven, God uses that to do something within my heart as well. But it starts with, do you want them to be forgiven by the one they've really hurt? And that's God. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross and he's praying for forgiveness, it makes me ask myself the question, who do I need to forgive? Or more properly, who do I need to ask God to forgive? I can't work it up within myself to forgive. But I can say, you know what? You have to deal with God. I can say, I'm not going to, your problem, if you've hurt me, your problem is really with God. So God, I pray that you will show them the ignorance of their ways, show them what they don't understand, show them what they're wrong about, humble them to the point where then they can receive forgiveness from you. And if you've forgiven them, then who am I to stand in the way of people walking in peace. So when I come to the death of Jesus, when I come to thinking about what he did on the cross, I can't help but look at people in my life and just go, okay, are there ignorant people around? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> Father, forgive them on the basis of what they don't know. If they knew, they wouldn't have done that. So, Father, please forgive them. If Jesus could do that, I can do that. But then you also have to ask, okay, how do you forgive? You forgive personally by committing it to the Lord, by just saying, God, this is your problem. And, and I'm going to ask you by faith to forgive the ignorance of other people. And by extension, God, I'm ignorant. I do things out of really not understanding what I'm doing. And as a result, as I ask for forgiveness for others who have hurt me, which those are the obvious ones that you can see, then what happens, there's this reciprocation where I realize, I hope there's somebody out there who is asking God to forgive me for my ignorance. Because I, I can't even tell you, the worst sins probably that I've ever committed, I don't even remember, because I thought I was right. But there's Jesus on the cross saying, hey, Dave really didn't know what he was doing when he said that, when he did that. Father, forgive him. 
So beautiful picture of forgiveness, and that's an important principle for us to have in life. Now, after saying this, you know, Jesus said that, and they're gambling over his clothes and things like that. One of the criminals down in verse 39 who were hanging, you know, who were hanged blasphemed him. They were already, both of them were doing it before, but now one of them especially was saying rude things. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. All of a sudden, and maybe it was because he heard Jesus asking for his forgiveness and he thought, wow, maybe I need to take a second look. Maybe I need to ask myself, am I the way I am partly because there are things of which I'm not aware, partly of an ignorance that's, that's working in my life, you know, even now? And now when he hears what he had been saying coming from his buddy on the other side of Jesus, he's like, come on, man, enough is enough. We deserve to be on this cross he doesn't. But then, the amazing thing in verse 42, he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What an ultimate turning point in anyone's life. See, what it's really all about, what matters more than anything else once you come to the point of death, once you realize, yeah, I'm going to die someday. What really matters is, what is that as a door that you go through? Where do I go? What happens later? I, I don't see it. I can't hardly fathom it. But there's something inside of me that tells me I'm not just going to disappear I'm more than just my body. And so you begin to wonder what happens after death. And so that's the concern of this guy who's hanging on the cross. And he understands too that somehow you have access to the pathway that goes somewhere after death. How he got that idea, I don't know. We don't have any indication that this guy had been listening to a lot of Jesus' sermons and things like that. Otherwise, he probably would have spoken up sooner instead of making fun of him. But at this point, suddenly he feels like somehow, Jesus, you control the access to where I can go next. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice he says, remember me. And that's kind of important, too, because he understands that whether you go to paradise or not has something to do with a relationship. Now, you could go, what kind of a relationship did he have with Jesus? He had enough of a relationship with Jesus that he is saying, I want you to remember me. I want to be connected to you. You, don't, you only remember people that you have a relationship with. When you see somebody and you're like, I've never seen this person before, and they go, remember me? You go, I'll try. I mean, 
tell me something about what, you know, give me a clue. And it's like, they're really hurt that you don't recognize them when you saw them 50 years ago the last time. And they, they don't, you know, they're like all of us. You know, they think they look exactly like they did in high school or whatever. But, you know, it's relationship. That's ultimately what determines our eternal destiny. And somehow this guy understood that. That he said, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus told him, today, this is going to happen instantly. You are going to die and you will instantly be with me. You will instantly be in paradise. You will instantly be in heaven. Not like, don't worry, you'll go to sleep for thousands of years and then someday you'll actually come back alive. That's no comfort to anyone. Although the sleep sounds good, but the rest of it, no. Not for that long. But Jesus is saying, you want to be connected to me. You want me to remember you. You want a relationship? You got it. And I'm telling you, this is all you need today. Now, in this respect and and considering this, it's interesting that there are some people who, you know, believe that, well, the only way that you can really know that you're a Christian is if you do this and this and this and this and this and this. And I I read an article a couple days ago that they used a term that I've heard a lot and it really hit me as they heard it. They were, they were talking about modesty. And they were talking about, it, was a, it must have been a pretty conservative source, because they were talking about the fact that there are professing Christians who wear jeans that are torn so that it's immodest. And they had some verse for it. And it's like, so the implication is, so there are professing Christians who, who wear torn jeans, therefore they're a professing Christian, but they must not be a real Christian, or at least that comes into question. But I've heard people say, there are professing Christians who vote the wrong way, or there are professing Christians who drink or cuss or do whatever else, whatever you want to put on the over the thing of, okay, what kind of a Christian is there? But it's interesting that as Jesus told the thief, I'll remember you. You'll be with me. The only time Jesus addressed the issue of a, of a person who is a confessing Christian that really isn't a Christian, it had nothing to do with what they wore or their, their, how their mouth or their habits or anything else about them. He only addressed a group of people that were hateful that didn't care about other people. In Matthew 25, they were so unloving that he said, you're on my left side. And what did he say? I never knew you. You missed a relationship with me. And because you don't really have a relationship with me, a relationship that was ultimately, they failed to have the relationship of a guy that knew Jesus for a few minutes. But his heart was set toward him. He, he even showed, as he was showing sympathy to Jesus and kind of sticking up for him, he showed a heart for the underdog. He showed a heart for justice and righteousness. But ultimately, Jesus said, 
you want me to remember you? You got it. You're in. At the same time, to religious people who never figured out that you're supposed to love people if you know Jesus, he says, yeah, it's not that I don't know you anymore. It's that I never really knew you. You lacked a relationship with me. Now, in the end, and I, I heard a, I reheard it the other, a couple days ago, but I had heard it years ago. Alistair Begg gave this great little blurb on the thief on the cross when he, when he got to heaven. And he said, can you imagine this guy? He comes to the gate of heaven and, and the angel is there and he's like, what are you doing here? He goes, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just, well, have you done any good in your life? No, not really. I was a criminal. And he's like, well, do you know the Ten Commandments? Never heard of them. Let's see. And then he went and got his supervisor and he's like, what do we do with this guy? He shows up at him. We don't know. He doesn't know why he's here. I don't know why he's here. And they're saying, well, do you know the Apostles' Creed? Do you understand substitutionary atonement? He's like, no, 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 I don't know any of that. <laughs> and he goes, why are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross told me to come. The only reason any of us will see him is if the man on the middle cross tells us to come. It's that simple. And that's what we celebrate on Good Friday. The fact that all we have to do is to tell him, I want to be in paradise with you. I want to be forgiven by you. I want to be one of the ones that you say, Father, forgive them. That's a part of me. I want my life to be connected to yours. And if you've done that, then you're in pretty good company. Because when you come to heaven, it's not going to be like, well, how much good did you do? How much money did you give? How, how many people did you witness to? How, you know, did, did you go to all the right places and avoid all the wrong places? It's going to be no. There's a man on a cross that said that I can come. And it's that simple it really is. And so on Good Friday, we usually celebrate communion because it remembers Jesus' death. And that's what Good Friday is about. But it's also a way that we connect to him. And he says, hey, when you eat this bread, when you drink this blood, you're partaking of me. You are demonstrating that you are following me, that you want me. And so if you're here today and or even, you know, you're watching online or whatever, and you honestly can't remember a time when you told Jesus that you want him to know you and that you want to know him and that you want to be with him forever. Communion is a beautiful time to do it. If you're watching online, I don't expect you to have any fancy communion stuff. Go grab a little piece of bread and whatever you have to drink. Not alcoholic or you'll go to hell, but um, <laughs> now just all of us will be reminded today as we receive the communion elements, we'll all be reminded that we have come to him and said, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want you to remember me. And he is telling us, hey, I'll see you again. In fact, someday we'll all celebrate 
communion together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everything that you did. That you didn't just like save us from a distance. You became one of us all the way to death. You suffered and died and you loved us. And when everyone else thought we were worthless, you listened when we reached out and cried out to you. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to look forward to heaven because we've been so good. But we can look forward to heaven because we love you and know you and we have asked you to remember us. God, if there's anybody here listening who has never truly seen it that simple, to respond to the one on the cross who's extending grace, who's extending forgiveness from the Father, then, Lord, I pray that even today they will know, man, Good Friday, what a great time to get right with God. So, Lord, draw each of us, every one of us, we're not here celebrating your death for any other reason than the fact that we desperately need you. Our worst sins, our pride, have come when we do good things. But when we feel like there's nothing we can do, we become overwhelmed by your grace and mercy and forgiveness. And boy, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you didn't receive one of these little cups when you came in, you can put your hand up as we sing this song and the ushers will get one to you. But um, Nate's going to lead us in a song as we prepare our hearts to really receive this fully. Oh, the perfect Son of God in all His innocence. You're walking in the dirt with you and me He knows what living is He's acquainted with our grief A man of sorrow, son of suffering Oh, blood and tears How can it be there's a God who weeps, there's a God who pleads, oh praise the one who would reach for me, hallelujah to the son of suffering. Some imagine you distant and removed but you chased us down in merciful pursuit to the sinner you were grace and the broken you embraced and in the end the proof is in your wounds Yes, in the end, the proof is in your wounds. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? 
And there's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. Your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven. Your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven, your blood still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus. Glory to God in heaven. 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 blood and tears how can it be that there's a God who weeps there's a God who pleads oh praise the one who would reach for me hallelujah to the son of suffering We do call out to you. Thank you for making it so simple because if you complicated it, we, we would never get it. So we now receive your gift of life as we partake in these elements together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all partake together. Let's all stand. I'm so blessed that you chose to spend this time with us. It's a very special day always. And to come in the middle of the day, I'm, I'm really grateful that you would choose to spend this time with us. Tomorrow we have a men's breakfast at 8 a.m. I'm speaking at it. There'll be a little worship and stuff. So guys, come bring your friends. It's always a, a really special time. And then Tomorrow night, uh, tomorrow evening at 5, our Season Classics group is having a, a concert with Bob Bennett, one of the old 
uh, Christian music pioneers and uh, a free dinner. And so come on out for that as well on Saturday. And then, of course, Sunday, Easter, we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as we gather together for our Easter services at 8, 9.45, and 11.30. So I pray that this whole weekend would be a time of real blessing and reflection for you. And I'm so grateful to be able to be here with you and looking forward to what God's going to do for the rest of this weekend. So, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make His face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace.